Driving plays a big part in driving the local economy. It helps us all get where we're going and creates good jobs close to home. At Synovus Energy, our refineries in Toledo and Lima are a reliable domestic source of gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. Plus, more than 2,300 employees and contractors work for us here in Ohio. See how we're helping local communities move forward at synovus.com. Driving plays a big part in driving the local economy. It helps us all get where we're going and creates good jobs close to home. At Synovus Energy, our refineries in Toledo and Lima are a reliable domestic source of gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. Plus, more than 2,300 employees and contractors work for us here in Ohio. See how we're helping local communities move forward at synovus.com. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What is up, Raider Nation? Your buddy Murph back once again for an episode of RFR Rundown. This is where myself and my co-host, my buddy Swag Jeff, we run down some of the most significant Raider stories uh, that happened throughout the course of the week. And so uh, without further ado, welcome Swag Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Back again for episode four Absolutely. of RFR Rundown. It's the Derek Carr episode. The Derek Carr episode. And yeah, we got why not? we got tons to get to tonight. We have so many cool, fun Raider stories. Yes, it was a big week in Raider Nation. It really was a big week. And so we, we appreciate all of you joining us tonight uh, for the, or whenever it is that you're joining us. It could be uh, on your lawnmower. Or good your morning, good afternoon, or good evening, <laughs> Raider Nation. <laughs> That's right. And so I appreciate you joining us. And you know, and if you're digging the rundown, let us know. Uh, if you're not digging the rundown, let us know. This is a new venture for us. And I uh, appreciate all of your feedback. And let us know what you think about the new format. Format and uh, and what we're doing here within Raider Nation. Yes, and also if you do like what we're doing, tell your friends. Tell them about Murph's Fan Cave and the Murph's Fan Cave Network of shows, please. Absolutely, yes, yes, absolutely. You get you get a whole bunch of stuff. You su- subscribe to us. That's right. You get all all kinds of shows. You get this show. You get Raiders Fan Radio Live, which we will be doing tonight with uh, the one and only uh, Uncle Mosh, and then of course things like mojo pod show and all that good stuff so yes i uh, appreciate you joining us here in Murph's fan cave subscribe hit the hit the bell on the youtubes as the kids say uh you can find us there youtube.com slash Murph's fan cave all right so jeff we got a lot of show tonight so we're gonna jump right into it yes this is the rfr rundown we run down all the big raider stories of the week and uh gosh tons of draft news 
Uh, yes, it, absolutely. Tons of stuff that came out this week, stuff that is directly related to the Raiders and stuff that is directly related to the league. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into it. How the draft logistically is going to work as a league in terms of how they uh, are going to impact the teams. The Raiders this week have vacated the Alameda facility in entirety. Their days there are done because the draft is going to be operated remotely. As Roger Goodell and the league says, you guys are done. All the teams, you're done at your facilities. You got to do it remotely. And so let's hear a little bit from Ian Rappaport on that very subject. Yeah, and Andrew, this is not a surprise. This is the same thing that the NFL advised general managers on Friday to begin to anticipate. And, you know, a lot of people have been joking, including you, by the way, about this looking like fantasy drafts. It's not going to look like some fantasy drafts because it's not going to be like personnel guys and assistant GMs and cap guys. They're not going to be with the GM on the couch drinking a beer. This is going to be everyone in front of their computer, maybe at their kitchen table, basically on Zoom or some other video format, conducting their draft. And the reasons for this, Mike, are basically obvious. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, facilities are still shut down. There are also state laws that are preventing some people from coming to work at all as a way of being equitable for all teams and making sure that everyone is on a completely level playing field in this uh, in this time that really is like none other in league history. Roger Goodell is making sure that everyone is staying safe and doing the draft from their own home. And I talked to a general manager today. Obviously, there are concerns about just the communication. Will there be a way for the GM, the assistant GM, and someone else to all jump on the same call to do a trade? A lot of logistics to figure out, but this is reality now. So, Jeff, I got a couple thoughts around that. Yeah. In that, um, you know, one... I don't think I get it. Look, they're not in their facilities. They don't have all of the resources that they typically would have in their quote war rooms or whatever, but as connected as we are as a society, as connected as we are to one another and to information. And we really, we're in a, we're in the knowledge age. We're not even in the information age. It's like, because at this point we know everything. Yeah. You can ask your phone anything and Google will tell you the answer. Like the history of the world is at your fingertips. Right. So there's not like they're going to be starved for information. If this would have been the seventies, this could have been a disaster. Like this would have had to have happened over like weeks, probably yeah, or something absolutely. like, you know what I mean? Um, and, and I don't even know what the logistics were back way back when they had like, I don't know, 12 rounds of the draft or whatever. Um, but anyways, point being though, is that in today's modern day draft, if they were tried to then revert back, it could be real ugly, but that's not what we have. We effectively have a bunch of people remote that are already, when you think about it, even though they were in their war rooms or their facilities, they were all remote to begin with. You didn't have 32 teams at Radio City Music Hall. Exactly. Like all hanging out together. Like they were already remote. Well, now instead of being remote at the facilities, they're going to be remote at their kitchen table, as, as, as Ian said there. But that's not dissimilar. I don't, I don't think it's that far of a stretch. Heck, you and I in our day-to-day jobs do so much of it remotely. Yes, I could do more at a facility, but I don't really starve for ability being connected remote with the, with the sure. advent of the internet and all the connectivity. What do you think on that? Well, so for the last several months, the team has been getting ready for the draft. We're now at crunch time. We're a few weeks away from the draft. Everyone knows what they need to know about every single player. They have backup plans. They got backup, backup plans. They got backup, backup, backup plans. Everyone knows what they're going to do. And so do they all need to be in the same room at this point? No, I don't think so. I think this is the right move by the NFL. And I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, 
Gruden and Mayock are going to be at their own houses, you know, with a with a the Raiders shirts up top and underwear <laughs> underneath or whatever, and they're going to be drafting our next superstars, and 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 that's okay, and that's good. Absolutely, I I, I agree. I don't think it's going to be that big of an impact. I mean, they're going to have all their cut ups. They're going to have all their everything that they're going to need yes. at their fingertips. I don't think they're going to be starved for information at all. All right, so I think the bigger in terms of the way that the draft is conducted nowadays. I think the bigger logistical challenge for the league is the broadcast. And, you know, we already know that clearly this isn't going to be a fan event like it has been in recent years where everybody, you know, uh, convenes in one particular city. Yes. Like we did in Nashville last year, the amazing 2019 draft. Um, so we know that's not going to happen. So you remove that out of the equation. Well, now what's left? You got the broadcast, right? That's the moneymaker. That's the big deal. Well, logistically, that's a challenge because, and, and well, I tell you what, let's go to Rich Eisen first. Rich Eisen can explain it much better than I can. Here Thank we go. Again. The NFL draft is going to go down on April 23rd. And he had a lot of stuff in his column about the broadcast. My name was mentioned in it, okay? And that the 23rd through the 25th, according to Peter is going to be a single broadcast between my network, NFL Network, and ESPN together on both of our channels. And where I'm there with DJ, he mentioned those two names, and there's going to be some people from ESPN who are involved in it, and we're all going to be doing one big draft cast together. Here's what I can tell you, all right? Here's what I can tell you. I am preparing to host the draft and pin a microphone to my lapel or have one directly in front of me. I am preparing to do that from my home office where I did the Zoom shows two weeks ago. If anybody wants to take a know what that looks like, just take a look at our shows from two weeks ago, youtube.com slash Rich Eisen Show. I'm sitting in my home office. I don't know if that's the corner of the desk that they'll choose. They've got professionals who are going to come in. As I told them, whoever's coming in to do this thing better come in dressed like Walter White, ready to cook (laughs) and and set this whole thing up. And I'm going to have a home camera and I'm planning on doing the draft. I don't know how many networks you'll see me on because right now it is a fluid situation, to say the least. That it could change tomorrow, again, based on the virus based on everything because I, according to Peter, it would be coming from the control room in Bristol, Connecticut. I have no, I mean, it is a monumental task. The playbacks of all of who gets drafted and then Willie the videos and, the and back. all of that stuff for it's us crazy. and yep. ESPN's got legions of people who do this thing. And I will tell you this about how all of the production staffs are trying to probably make heads or tails of it all right now. And I say this with you hopefully knowing that what I'm saying does not even remotely compare to the degrees of difficulty of what's going on in the real world and the most important people who are trying to do the most important things in terms of saving lives. Please understand this. I say this just from the point of view of broadcasting a draft. It is for me. And thus, I also believe for everybody in control rooms, the most logistically difficult broadcast, period. 
All right, so there's Rich talking about it. And wow. He, he kind of goes on further from there. And the reason that it's so tough is that you have uh, you got players in multiple locations. Yes. You've got teams in multiple locations. You've got multiple networks. You've got multiple analysts. You've got all these different things that now you have to intertwine. And if he's talking about doing like some sort of simulcast, where historically it's been ESPN and NFL Network, and they're both set up, they're both posted up in different places, they've got their own panels, they've got their own thing, whatever. So all that said, so now you're talking about simulcasting this thing. It's going to be real tricky for them, um, but pretty cool. I'm I'm excited for what it's going to look like. I have faith in, you know, in folks that are at the NFL Network. Their programming is top-notch, man. The production quality of everything in NFL Network is top-notch, yes. and, I, and I think this is going to be a, a good thing. It's going to be a fun thing. It's going to be a nice thing for us as fans that we've been st- Starving for sports. Oh my gosh! You know we got no hockey. We got no start of uh, of baseball. We've got no NBA. I mean, because hockey and NBA right now this time of year is starting is, to get. Yeah, this is playoff time. Probably to get real fun, right? And so yeah. Uh, so we're definitely missing for that. So this will be nice as fans uh, to be able to get that as sports fans as an entire as as a whole, not even just NFL fans. But anyway, so that said, um, we have some fun plans for this. Yeah, we, yeah, we yeah we've heard the logistics of the NFL. And and so we have our own logistics that we're doing. We are going to be simulcasting uh, on the Mojo Pod Show Network, and we are going to be doing a live draft party. It's going to be so fun! Oh so my it's gosh, be, a cave party! It's going to be the best. It's going to be the best. So uh, so be you and me and Mojo and then Raider Dave from the Grimy, yes, the Grimy Raider podcast. Cool. So yeah, it's going to be cool. So look for us on Mojo's uh, on Mojo's Pod Show on that channel. You can find that on YouTube. Yep. And uh, so look for us there. Yep. We'll and have the, and it'll obviously be here on Murph's Fan Cave Network on the podcast. That's correct. We're going to pull the audio from it, and we'll have it available here. Uh, on 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 Murph Sand Cave uh, podcast network and as Jeff just mentioned and uh, yeah so it should be fun man I'm looking it's forward gonna to it's going to be so much fun what time are we t- starting that is that I think four is that what time does the draft start I don't know we should have looked that up we should have looked that up because <laughs> you know we got to be careful with Mojo because you know we we partake a little bit on that show oh yeah, yeah you know what I mean so it's gonna be like if, a two beer per <laughs> hour thing or something like that if we're gonna be going four or five hours uh, I know be careful man because otherwise by the time we get to pick 20 or pick 19 pick- we're gonna be like what did I get that guy for <laughs> we're gonna be in pick 12 <laughs> we're gonna be in the pregame watching Rich Eisen <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be smashed like what the hell did they be like yeah exactly yeah Anyways, yeah, pretty fun stuff. Anyways, so look forward uh, to that and and, and uh, watching the Raiders and, uh, on draft day. So absolutely. So some some interesting talk has gone on, you know, and we've talked about it here on this show on multiple shows on the Cave um, about the prospect of the Raiders drafting a quarterback. Yes, we talked night. about that last week, and whether Gruden does that or not, and and not typically, not typically, and so. If they were to, say, draft a quarterback in round one, uh, there's a lot of movement that would have to occur unless they just stay where they're at and uh, pass on uh, a skill position player or another skill position player and uh, and were to take them ahead of a quarterback outside of that to get the the quarterbacks that you're going to want to draft in a, in a, in in uh, in, a, in a round like this you're going to want a Joe Burrow you're going to want a Tua Tagovailoa maybe even a Justin Herbert you know you're going to you're going to need to be better than 12 to get a player like that yes. so we're going to talk about the logistics of that in itself here in a minute via the trade value chart which we hinted at last week on RFR live yes. didn't have a chance to get to it we're going to cover it today but but before we do that, 
Uh, Daniel Jeremiah says, don't look to the Raiders to draft a quarterback anyways. Having a virtual meeting here with Justin Herbert. <laughs> DJ, they're picking 12 and 19. Are, are they a team that could be moving up for Justin Herbert here? First of all, I, I will add uh, the Raiders IT guy to my prayer list because I know Mayock and the FaceTime thing. That can't be going smoothly. <laughs> uh, but, but I will say I don't think the Raiders are going to trade up. I think you look at the needs they have on that roster, especially at the receiver position. I, I just think they'll sit at 12. If Herbert were to fall to 12, I could see them doing that. Uh, but if he's gone, I, I, don't, I think you've got so many other needs to address. I don't see them trading a bunch of those picks to launch up to get a quarterback. But DJ, John Gruden, if we know one thing about him, always is in the quarterback business. If he has one quarterback, he needs 10 quarterbacks. <laughs> that, that's true. I mean, they collect quarterbacks. I think Marcus Mariota can be his project, though. That's like the car that he gets to work on in the garage. That's going to be the yes. project there for John Gruden. Absolutely. Oh, where did where'd you hear that sentiment before, right? Yeah, right. That's yeah. absolutely. That's you know, and that's I think being that Mariota is in house now, I don't see them going after a QB. Just nah. like DJ said there, I think that he's on the nose, man. That's that's going to be the quote project um, and a viable like player. Like this is somebody that it's not like we. And I'm going to go on this thing again. It's not like we haven't seen Mariota have legitimate success in the league already. Right. Yeah, he had he had, he had a challenging time this past year. Yes, he got benched. We get all that. But he also went into Kansas City and overcame an 18-point deficit and won a freaking playoff game. Like, So we've seen this guy do yes. some pretty spectacular things on the field, uh, taking off for 79 yards at a time for touchdowns yeah. and whatnot. Like, we've seen him do some amazing things. So uh, I think that's where the Raiders' investment in quarterback lies. It's going to be in Derek Carr. It's going to be in Mariota. And then I think it kind of stops there. Right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, You know, I think... You know, he, he mentioned right there, he goes, well, maybe if Herbert drops to 12 or, you know, or you can replace that with if Jordan Love drops to 12 or if, you know, Tua drops to 12. Do you even still take him at that point? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Is there value? Is there much value in terms of on-field impact in 2020? Right. Take, excuse me. Taking that player versus taking Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb. Yeah. CJ. Whatever. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. players out there that yeah. are like plug and play. Like all of a sudden without Apple coming on board and we're going to get to free agency, another follow up on free agency in a minute. But all of a sudden with that deficit now at corner, like, whoa, like now we need corners. Like now. Yeah. Gee, they yeah. Can, it's either it's either go snatch a guy like Logan Ryan, you know, pay him out the butt for it or, you know, or you go to the draft and you pick him at at 12 and then, you know, and then go settle for for rugs at 19. Right. Or you know both. What I mean? Because we we don't even have Worley signed yet, so we're talking about Trayvon Mullen as your starting corner, and, and then Isaiah after, Johnson. There you go. I mean, so we need help. So, uh, all right. So to finish this up, and the, to finish the thought that I started last week, in terms of the Raiders drafting a quarterback in the first round. Now you heard Daniel Jeremiah there refer to what they would do if one of those high profile players are there at twelve. All right. Well, what if the Raiders were to move? Okay. Now. So there has been, granted, not by the most reliable sourced uh, 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 websites and things, blogs and whatnot, but the idea has been floated around, and I think it's, that it's a fair one, that the Raiders could, with the amount of, uh, of draft equity that they have, move around within the first round to get a quarterback, to get one of these high-profile guys, the three that we just talked about. Sure. Okay. 
So the Raiders have five selections in the first three rounds. We pick at 12, we pick at 19, we pick at 80, 81, and 91. So those are two firsts and then the two third-round picks. If they want, say, just for crazy talk, say they wanted to go get Joe Burrow. Say they wanted to get the can't-miss quarterback prospect of the decade so far, right? Yes. Like, he's the guy. Like, he's of the last, I don't know, since probably Andrew Luck, like, that was the last time that I can think of, just off the top of my head, the last time we had a guy that it was like... Clear cut, this is the number one guy. Yes. This is the man. Like Because even the others that have found success in the league to this point, even you look at, you know, Mahomes or Deshaun Watson or, I don't know, whoever, you, there's a bunch of them. They weren't slam dunks. There was a lot... Patrick Mahomes didn't even start. Like, there was a lot of question marks around some of those yeah. players out there. Joe Burrow, there ain't no question marks. Like, this is a guy you're going to plug yeah. and play. There's well, and, and we talk, and sorry to interrupt you, but we Please. talk We talk about, you know, we've talked about, well, what if Tua slips? What if Herbert slips? What if, you know, uh, Jordan Love slips? We ain't talking about if Burrow slips. Yeah, Burrow, Burrow is going number one overall. Ex- and even we can talk about, we, we talked about Mariota. You know, you could talk about that draft because everyone, you know. Him well, and Jameis. Yeah, is it Jameis? Is it, is it Marcus? Who is it? You know, this draft, I think, is the first draft. Yeah, maybe since Andrew Luck that you're like, this is the guy. This is it. This is this is the man. So, uh, you know, Matt Ryan was that guy once upon a time. It was like, okay, this is the guy. This right. is the quarterback of the draft. Like, this is the can't-miss guy. All right, so say the Raiders wanted to go get the can't-miss guy, the face of the franchise, the guy that's going to quarterback us for the next 15 freaking years, okay? What would it cost? Well, there's a value chart that Jimmy Johnson built in the 90s. In the early 90s, the Cowboys developed a draft pick value chart under the guidance of Jimmy Johnson. The goal was to assign a numerical value to each selection to use as a general guideline in trade talks. NFL teams are not required to abide by this chart and are free to seek more or less than suggested in deals. However, most swaps of choices usually fall in line with these basic values. So the idea is, do teams do goofy stuff at times a la the chicago bears to go up and get a mitch trubisky do they do things that don't follow the chart exactly yes but for the most part when you see teams move within the draft in the especially in the earlier rounds they adhere to the to the values assigned in this chart all right so i'm gonna read you a couple numbers here so the first round pick is worth three thousand points okay the 222nd or 200 24th pick in the draft the end of round seven is worth two points oh so you get an idea of the disparity between the numbers okay so that first round pick is worth three thousand points so basically you have to equate enough value to three thousand points for the bengals if they even wanted to move to consider the idea of moving out of that number one pick okay so what would that mean for the raiders well Derek carr was drafted 36th overall so that has a point total of 540 now, if you draft Joe Burrow, you sure as heck aren't starting Derek Carr. I wouldn't think so. No. Okay? You're probably not even considering having him on the roster anymore. Right. So could you package a trade to Cincinnati to send Derek Carr and what? Well, if Derek Carr is only worth 500 points, it means you got to come up with 2,500 more points. Well, the Raiders' first-round pick in the uh, at, at number 12 is worth 1,200 points. Their first round pick at 19 is worth 875. Their 80th pick is worth 190. And their 81st pick is worth 185. So essentially, you'd have to package both. You have to package both first round picks and two of your third rounders and Derek Carr. 
Wow. To go get Joe Burrow. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, and then you don't have anyone, you don't have a draft, uh, or a, a pick in the draft to get them to throw in, or have someone to throw it to. Who's he throwing it to? Whoever, right. Hunter Renfro, Ty Williams, and whoever the third rounder yeah, is. Yeah, and like, Waller, you know. On Waller, of course. Uh, but yes, so clearly that doesn't make sense for the Raiders. No. So anybody that's floating that out there, just like last year when it was like, oh, Joe Gruden wants to go get Kyler Murray. No, he doesn't, and that's why. Okay? Right. That value chart, I just so any hype going into the draft, when anybody, any of your buddies at the, well, not at the bar, because we're not at the bars now, but any of your friends, anybody on social media says, watch for the Raiders to do this, it's BS. It doesn't work. Yes. Now, what is a little more feasible is a position like number four. Okay, so at number four, it's, that equates to 1,800 points. Well, if Derek Carr is worth 500, it's actually 540, and you need to get 1,300 more points, well, their first-round pick at 12 is worth 1,200 points. So if you package your first-round pick at, at number 12 for 1,200 points and Derek Carr, that's 1,740 points to get to the number four spot. Is that worth Tua Tango Vailoa? I don't know. Maybe, but you can see like that's a little bit more sense because now you got another, you still got that first round pick. Still got pick, the 19. Still yep. got the 19. You still got your two thirds. You still got, so like that's a little bit more feasible. So anybody that wants to report on that, it makes a little bit more sense. I still don't think it's viable. I nah. still don't think, look, it's not like Derek Carr is some chump. It's not like he's a bad quarterback. Right. Yes, we'd like him to have better numbers at times. We'd like him to be more clutch in certain situations. But in terms of like his overall play, He's not worth moving on right. from all these picks and all this equity just to get into a spot to draft somebody like Tua or, exactly. or, uh, or, or Burrow or even Justin Herbert. So, Jeff, all that said, your thoughts. Yeah, you said it all. You said it all. You know, I mean, you got a guy like Carr who, who yes, like you said, he, you know, can improve, you know, but most quarterbacks in this league can improve, you know. And so, you know, how much better off are you – trading the guy and getting, I, I don't know. But then you got a guy like Marcus as the backup. I mean, to me, when they signed Marcus and they signed him early, he was one of the first, I mean, I was think the first. the first, almost first player. Was he before Littleton? Yeah. I think so. He was He yeah. was on that, like, the night it opened up, it was immediately, like, you heard talks about Mar- Marcus, and then he's there. So he they have, obviously, a lot, like, they wanted him bad. They that was him. a target. That it wasn't was a, a, oh, that's nice to have. Well, look, at he's still around. Let's go talk to him. Exactly. Like, no, they there was, there was plenty one. of quarterbacks still out there, but Marcus was their guy that they wanted to bring in. So I think that night pretty much, to me, sealed the deal that they're not going to get a quarterback. Absolutely. Good stuff there, Swago. All right, so speaking of free agents, I told you we had a lot to get to tonight. We're not even done. We're only halfway through this. All right, so speaking of free agents, let's follow up on that. Now, we followed up yes. uh, just now on Marcus Mariota, kind of our thoughts around that. Uh, also, Jeff, one of the guys that we signed didn't even make it as long as Antonio Brown did as, yeah. a, as a Raider. Yeah, AB's yeah. A- more of a Raider than Eli Apple is. <laughs> <laughs> Eli Apple. I followed and unfollowed his mom on Twitter at, at like within three days of each other. Nice. Yeah, because she's actually a pretty fun follow on Twitter. But I'm like, oh, never mind. You're not the parent of a Raider anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so what happened? Well, that a lot of things were swirling around. But I, I, who who was it that reported it? Uh, was it Rappaport that reported it? One of those guys. Uh, yeah. yeah, he said that uh, that it was physical related, not money related. So that I guess they couldn't come to an agreement with something. I don't know if it was because they couldn't get into the facilities to test him and see if he was ready, see if he was everything that they had hoped that he that he was. I don't know if there was an injury. I don't know if the guy's just out of shape and they they just said you know hey, 
we're going to pass on this. But it sounds like it was the Raiders that, I mean, if it's physical related, it was kind of the Raiders that said, well, if we can't do this, then we probably just need to walk away. They chose to. And, you know, that he wasn't their original target anyways. It was Chris Harris Jr. was the one that they really wanted. Right. And so then when they looked at, I think, the financial impact of that of, and with uns- with uncertainty involved, it just makes it an easy decision. You just move on. And then yeah. and quickly they turn right around and sign Demarius Randall. Yes. Like absolutely. the same week or within a couple days of each other, right? Yes, absolutely. So this pretty much uh solidifies our safety room now. So now you're gonna have Demarius Randall and Jonathan Abram, I would imagine, as your starting safeties. Don't let anybody get you caught up again when you're talking to your friends or on social media or whatnot. Who's going to play strong? Who's going to play free? It doesn't matter. That, yeah. that safety is safety nowadays. Don't get caught up in the in the assignments of what because they, that's not the way safety is really played anymore. You just yes, you have guys with different skill sets or at least a little bit diverse in their skill set. But the idea of like labeling one free, one strong, like th- that's for Madden. That's not for the real life NFL. Exactly. Exactly. So you're going to have. Demarius Randall and Jonathan Abram will be your two starting safeties. Then you'll have Eric Harris and Jeff Heath, I would imagine, in relief. But interesting, Jeff, you and I were talking about this before the show tonight. Now that really frees up LaMarcus Joyner, doesn't it? Absolutely it does. Yeah, because now he can he can go and cover the slot full-time. Full-time, man. Full-time. Which is what they said they wanted him for anyway. Exactly. So, exactly. Well, and, and you know, you add that and then you throw Corey Littleton in the mix, who can cover the flat, who can cover Travis Kelsey and stuff like that. Then you really have stuff to play with. But it's, it's interesting with Demarius Randall, he has a 69.9% uh, uh, coverage grade. Uh, in 2019, which of which would have had he would have had the highest on the team. No kidding. Yes, absolutely. Damn. And in his career, he has 290 tackles, 14 interceptions, and 47 pass deflections, and two pick sixes while he played in Green Jeez. Bay. So, you know, it seems like it's an it's an upgrade for sure. Absolutely, and you know something that the Raiders have been starved for for a long time is playmakers. Man, like you know. And, and I'm not using this as a shot at Derek Carr or Taylor Whitehead, but while like you look at Whitehead's numbers in terms of like amount of tackles, did he lead the team in tackles? Yes, but he also didn't change games for us. He also didn't come up with that big sack, that big hit, that big fumble recovery, that exactly. big interception, that big something that turned the tide of the game. Frankly, we haven't had, I mean, Eric Harris did a pretty good job this year. He had some big, especially that game against the Chargers. Like he had some big game-changing type plays, right? Yes. Um, we saw Max Crosby flash that a little bit, but really it's been since Mac. Like we didn't, I mean, you know, you think about like Mac picking off uh, Cam Newton on the five-yard line or running it in for a touchdown. Like that was like, I mean, and the black hole erupts. And I mean, like those kinds of plays, that explosive yes type thing that changes the game where your numbers that's where numbers can be taken out of context and i mentioned Derek in that Derek's numbers are great but what what big defining moments has he had you know crabtree corner of the end zone you know last year was renfro in the in the front corner of the end zone that happened literally right in front of us in front of us yep uh you know the 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 uh, at baltimore the back of the end zone to michael crabtree you know, the two-point conversion against the Saints to open the 2016 season. Like, he's got a few, but in terms of, like, game in, game out, year in, year out, like, you don't see those big impact plays that, like, are these, like, crazy, like, oh, my gosh, like, yeah. you know what I mean? And Cooper even flashed that for us at times. Cooper would, you know, 
take a quick out and then spin it up field and take off for 70 yards and a touchdown. Like, yes. We haven't had those playmaking type players. I think we really missed that. I think we had a guy that was that was put on injured reserve after the first week that's going to blow that up this year. He wears 24 on his chest. Oh, ab- I mean, yes. I mean, thank think you. about that. I mean, thank you. Think about a guy like that. So you people forget that this guy's still there. And he's going to yes. be our captain of the defense in a yes. year or two, I promise you. But, I mean, look, I mean, the play that he got injured with was like, a, oh, my gosh. I mean, he laid a smack on a on a donkey receiver yeah. and just, I mean, annihilated him. Yeah, that was beautiful. Bend his face mask and everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, right? So and I kind of went on a tangent there into the offense. But my point being is this, is that somebody like Demarius Randall, who's been criticized for – getting burned at times, right? Uh, he, had, he had good numbers with the Packers, and I think you got those for us. Um, no, yeah, you already said that. Yeah, the two pick sixes he had when he was yes. Green, with, with Green Bay. Yeah, and he gave up some touchdowns, I think, last year. I think they said that like maybe eight touchdowns he, he let up or whatever. But he still would have been the highest-graded player on the defense with us. So, you know, I so mean. So there you go. He's a ball hawk, right? So he's still got that home run hit And who did he potential. play for last year? The freaking Browns. The dude. Browns, who was getting burned by everybody. They were, so that guy couldn't do all of it alone. You know what <laughs> right? I mean? So he got burned with eight touchdowns. But what does that really mean on the Browns defense? Absolutely. You know what I mean? That's a that's a great point, man. And so and you know, they got him for cheap too. Like it's it's a one year deal. Uh it's three point two five million. Yeah. Like that's kind of chump change when it's you think- worth up to that point too, probably with incentives. So there you go. So they got him on the cheap, man. So I, I think this is gonna be really good for the for the Raiders and for that secondary. And I'm excited about that. I'm a big fan of the safety position. Yes. Um I think that it's it's a very important position because it's a lot of times your last line of defense. And when you think about like Think about like Charles Woodson when he came back to the Raiders and he was playing safety. Like you think about talk about a get, I, I I'm gonna back up all what I said earlier. That was the last guy we had on it. Even still at 34 years old or whatever he was, he was still making big interceptions, causing fumbles, picking the ball up. Like yes. he was still wrecking defenses. But I'll never forget one of my favorite moments of his, the second uh stint second with the stint, Raiders yeah. was when him and Peyton were going at it and he picked Peyton off in the end zone. And it was like that rivalry quote rivalry had been going back from when they were competing for the Heisman when he was at Michigan and Peyton was at UT. Yep. Like you think about like literally two legends going at it. Yes. And our legend one. Yeah. Like I just like so cool. So cool, man. At that age to still have that kind of impact on the game. And anyway, so we haven't had that. We haven't yeah. had that. And we're going to now. I th- I'm really excited about Abram and Demarius Randall. And then absolutely. And now I'm like, again, and it's not like Eric Harris sucked last year yeah i mean he he sealed the game in indy sealed the game you know what i mean like the pick six right there at the close to the end of the game sealed the deal for us absolutely and that game against the chargers i mentioned earlier what do you have two pit two he had three and then almost a fourth or something they got called back for something yeah but what and one or two of them were pick sixes or something like that yeah it was crazy balled out dude Uh and and then jeff heath is no slouch so i mean these yeah those four guys like gonna be good and dolan levitt our buddy dolan uh, is still is still on the team so Uh uh-huh I'm excited about that. I think that's going to be great. All Absolutely. Right. Well, you're talking about playmakers, and let's go to the defensive line. All right, bring let's it. Let's go to the defensive line, and let's talk about Malik Collins. Oh, my gosh. Malik Collins, who, you know, I didn't know who he was really, but... Other uh, than he was a cowboy, but yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I don't like the Cowboys. But uh, but he had 21 pressures last season alone. Last season alone, uh, and that was more than any Raider interior defensive lineman has had in the last four seasons combined. Oh, my gosh. 
combined. 21 pressure. Okay, now wait a minute. Uh, 21 pressures as an interior lineman? Yes. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's up there with like Jarrell Casey, like not Aaron Donald, but like. But, th- but yeah. the elite guys in the league, yeah, 21 pressures in one season alone. That's more than the Raiders for the over the last four years. Now, granted, Mo Hurst is only a couple years in, and he has 19 in two seasons. So, he, I mean, he almost doubled up. That's crazy, man. Yeah. That's 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 a good move, man. Yeah, you I, talk about game changers. There you go. You know, moving a guy inside to a block a guy like Malik Collins is going to free up Cleveland Farrell. It's going to free up Max Crosby. It's going to free up, you know, whoever. You I know? think we got sneaky good on our defensive line this year. Like kind of unheralded because it's because look, that was one of the strengths of our team last year. And people want to give uh Clee Furl some crap, but we we know that the game is more than just sacks. When you look at the way that he performed against the run and you look at the way that he occupied blocks where people had to freaking account for him yes. to to uh, to allow guys like Max to get free. And, yeah, well, that's know, why they call it salt and pepper, not just salt or not just pepper. Not just pepper, exactly. You know, yeah, they work together, man. Absolutely. And so I think that we were already pretty good. I'm with you on Mo Hurst. P.J. Hall has had some uh, decent flashes. Now you add Malik Collins into the mix. You add Carl Nassib into the mix. It's like, all of a sudden, like we're starting to round out a pretty stout front four, or potentially front four, front yeah. three, whatever it looks well, I mean, like. You could even you could even argue and say we're stacking up a full defense. I mean, all we need is a corner or two. I, you know what I mean? Like we're just a couple pieces away from this defense being scary good. That's you're right because you know what? Because that's the thing about Kwiatkowski is that that guy can rush the passer too. Yes, we've seen him go out and wreck Aaron Rodgers. Like, yeah. and it's not like Green Bay has like some crap offensive line. Like Green Bay's got a good offensive line. They got a freaking legend at quarterback and Kwiatkowski playing half snaps is back there wrecking shop in the backfield. Like, exactly. Oh my gosh, man. Like I'm fired up, dude. Yeah, like this gonna be is sweet. This is going to be sweet, man. And you're right. I think that it wouldn't shock me and Raider Nation and, and, and Jeff's got some more on us on Kwiatkowski uh, here in a sec. But before we get to that, I wouldn't be shocked, Jeff, if at 12, we go corner. I know that unless it's maybe CD Lamb. If it's CD, then you grab him. If CD's not there, I'm all about corner at twelve. You might go that way, man. You know, you might get the, who, the Christian. What's his name at LSU? Like, yes. There's a you know, of course the the Akuda is going to be long gone out, oh of, out gosh, of Ohio yeah. State. Uh, you know, but uh, there are still, and I remember I for, keep forgetting his last. Is CJ Anderson the kid out of Florida? Yes. Okay. Yes. So like you know. There's there's some, there's going to be some good. It wouldn't even shock me if they went double. I know we've joked about like two, getting two wide receivers. I don't know. Maybe that would nah, shock they ain't me. Going. Yeah, but it's going to go wide receiver corner. I think the longer this has gone on, that's really where I've settled into. Yeah, we're going to go wide receiver corner and then look for like offensive linemen in the third. Yeah, like, I think that's where. And then maybe another linebacker. Like yeah. I think that's kind of where it's starting to run. And you know out. what? And we're not done in free agency. I'm telling you, we're not done in free agency. Well, we have Whether a ton we, of money left, but... We got... I mean, look at the deal that, that we restructured with Hudson. Oh, yeah, that's and right. And then the money that we just, you know, basically swapped money with, with uh, Randall. I mean, we still got a lot of money to that's play true. with. That's true. So, I don't know. You know, I mean, do we go and s- snag Logan Ryan? You know, we... Or Clowney. Or Clowney. Holy oh, crap, dude. Gosh. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? That would be... Talk about depth, dude. You want to talk about a guy that, it, that like, solidifies a Raider... Oh, I mean the guy knocking heads off in oh college. My gosh, dude. Holy crap. That would be insane. Can you imagine that? Talk about a rotational pass rush, dude. Oh my gosh. Jeez. It'd be man. unstoppable. That's crazy. That'd be like, unstoppable. Is that worth it? Like 
That'd be better. Maybe. I'm telling you, that'd be better than when Clowney was on the Texans with him and Watt. Yeah, because they had no depth interior. Yeah, but then you look at. I mean, so Merciless is pretty good coming off the edge too. Like that was pretty, pretty yeah formidable. But then, but then but you not. look. But look at Clowney, Farrell, Crosby. Holy oh cow! Quickowski, add that in the mix. You know and what I mean? Freaking and Hurston Collins in the oh. middle. Come on, man! Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Make yeah. me feel funny inside. I know, right? I know, right? <laughs> but you know what? Tell me but, more. But, well, speaking of Quickowski. Yeah, Quickowski, he, he's a Raider, and he wanted to be a Raider. And he was sold with Vegas, like what we talked about a long time ago. Really? They sold him on Vegas. So they, they called him very early, and when they spoke to him, they said it, it was uh, it was clear, or I'm sorry, it was clear that, they, that the whole organization was excited about going to Vegas, and that was the number one reason, one of the number one reasons why he made the decision to go. He played us last year in London and said he just loved the mentality that the Raiders brought to the game, and he took a few other calls, but decided, you know what, silver and black is where I need to be. Oh, right on, man. Yeah, it's, it's That's awesome. so cool. Good deal. You know, and, and I love it how he's um, he was very complimentary of Corey Littleton. Uh, yeah. As well. Talked about how he's a proven commodity and, uh, and, and Kwiatkowski is the up-and-comer. But those two collectively, dude, like, I'm telling you, man, like, I, it's you're right. I said defensive line. You really are front seven. Gosh, man. Like we really improved and, and you know, look, and I'm a sucker for this stuff, man. Like I think the Raiders get better every year and I get excited every year and I think we're going to win Super Bowl every year. So I understand my own bias and my own, you know, my, my fandom, you know, is, you know, whatever it it leads. I get it. I'm a little bit more of an optimist because I'm a freaking fan, but I feel like this is one of those years where it's like, wow, we really did get better. Like we really got, you know, there's some years like, like especially during the early McKenzie years where it was like, you know, you look at our draft and it's like the draft, like Tony Bergstrom and it's like, Oh, yippee. Like, you know what I mean? Or like, yeah, you look at like, okay, like we, we signed, um, Oh my God, switch his name from the giants. Uh, Justin, uh, Justin Tuck, like we signed Justin Tuck and it's like, uh, okay. I mean, that's kind of cool, but he's kind of old. Like it's hard to get excited about it. You know what I mean? Even recently when we signed Derek Johnson, it's like, eh, okay, like, I, sure, okay, that's fun. You know, Jason Witten, like, eh, okay, that's fun. But these defensive guys, oh yeah, these are not guys in their thirties. These are guys in their mid twenties, in their yeah. freaking prime. These are guys that are going to be Raiders for like five, six, seven years, maybe. Yes, like this is freaking badass, dude. Yes, this is exciting. So I'm, I'm fired up for this one. Um, all right, any more? Anything else, man? On, on. Uh, on free agency, you want to get to? We, I feel like we've done four episodes of RFR rundown on free agency, and we could do another four or six more. You know, but but no, it, it, I'm excited. I'm so excited. I think that's the ultimate takeaway, right? Is that yeah. this is there's a lot of fun going it's, on. Yeah, it's, it's nothing but good stuff, Raider Nation. Yeah. It's all good. Absolutely. So a couple uh, more fun stories to get to. Uh, something that I didn't have on our rundown, Jeff, but I want to tag just real quick. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the draft. You know, as uh, the commissioner in the league said that um, all teams need to not be at their facilities. So the Raiders were still in Alameda. So being that they had to vacate Alameda, that means that they're done. That's it. Because the the Henderson, Nevada headquarters is about complete. Uh Um, And so since the draft is going to be done remotely. Yeah. um, Goodbye, Oakland. That's that's it, man. That's like the last the last bit has finally moved out of 1220 Harbor Parkway, man. Yep. It's crazy. Yep. Crazy. We are officially, officially official. Yeah. We're the official Las Vegas Raiders. Raider, Las Vegas freaking Raiders, man. That's crazy. Yep. 
Crazy stuff. All right, um, all right, this is a cool story. So uh, Paul Tagliabue, former uh, commissioner for the NFL, yes, uh, is getting inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Okay. And we were pretty tore up as Raider fans this year because uh, Tom Flores was not considered, or actually he was considered for induction and got passed over, which was an absolute atrocity considering that he had been considered under the prior structure, the prior in, uh, in, in, inductment, inducement, whatever the induct, induction, induction. Thank you. Under the prior induction criteria. And then now they expanded it and he still got passed over. Yeah. So that's ridiculous. Um, more so for me than Flores even is Cliff freaking branch. Yeah. The fact that Cliff branch is not in the hall of fame. It's ridiculous. Is, it literally is ridiculous. You know, when you look at the hall of fame, I think it boils down to a couple of things. Were you the best at your position in which the time you played and what did your statistics look like amongst your peers? When you look at those things, Cliff branch has more, has better stats or at least equal to stats than the players of his generation that are already in John sure. Stallworth, yeah, like Lynn Swanee, Swan, yeah, uh-huh. all yep. them, you know, Harold Carmichael, who's going in ahead of him this year. Uh-huh. And he's got three freaking rings. Yeah. Like, give me a break. And you talk about people that change the position. That's another thing in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Did you do something that we had never seen before? We had seen speedsters like that. We had seen somebody torching fools down the sideline for freaking 60-yard bombs like that yep. from Snake and, and Plunkett. And every, Plunkett could barely throw it 60 yards downfield. Anyways, and freaking Branch is still going to doing it. Yep. Like, ugh. Oh, I hate that one. All right. <laughs> Pisses me off. <laughs> F you, NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's not even the NFL Hall of Fame. It's the Pro Football Hall of Fame. F you. F you a lot for leaving Cliff Branch out of there. Can you tell I'm passionate about this? Tell the rest of the story. Jeez. Sheesh, man. Makes me mad, dude. Yeah. Does it? <laughs> okay. So, uh, despite the atrocities of leaving those two guys off, the, uh, off this year's roster of inductees, uh, there is at least one cool... Uh, Footnote to the to the story. Okay. Paul Tagliabue is going in. Yes. You get to select your presenter as the person that's getting inducted to the Hall of Fame. You get okay. to choose who introduces you. Yeah. This was a long uh, thing for Al Davis. He loved that he had induced, or induced, I can't why I keep saying that. He had he loved that he introduced more people. Inducted, in, inducted people into the Hall of Fame. Into the Hall of Fame. How many was it? Nine? Nine, eight or nine, something like that. It was a bunch, right? He loved that, that he was the guy that had been chosen. And I think the last one was Madden. I think that was the last guy that he he led into the Hall of Fame. So, really cool. All right, so on the the heels of of that understanding as Raider fans and how important that is to us as an organization, Paul Tagliabue has chosen a Raider. And not only has he chosen a Raider, he's chosen Art Shell, one of your best friends. Oh, the biggest Swag Jeff fan out there. Gosh, he loves you. And he loves taking selfies with you. Oh, he loves that so much. But as you'll hear in this clip, I think something that's very important and almost, frankly, made me a little teary because I'm that kind of a fan when it comes to this stuff. It was really because also not only is Art Shell and who he is as a man and who he represented as a uh, as a player for the Raiders, as a coach for the Raiders, the significance of, of being the first African-American head coach, like so much stuff right that around Art Shell and, and his significance in the league, but also his relationship with Gene Upshaw, who was one of the first or not one of the first, but one of the most important um, players association directors like Gene Upshaw did huge 
huge things for the labor union. And in terms of like finding labor peace amongst the owners and, and, and the players, Gene Upshaw was the guy working with Tagliabue and all this stuff. Yeah. And sadly we've lost Gene Upshaw, but Art Shell was like the one of the closest comrades of Upshaw. And that's why he chose Shell. Like this is freaking I'm getting so chills cool. right now talking about it, man. This is so cool. So let's listen to this clip uh, from Paul Tagliabue. Well, I've I've considered a lot of different people to be my presenter, which I think is a, an opportunity for me to send visually some of my feelings about what's important in, in the National Football League. So I've selected Art Shell to be my presenter. Why Art Shell? First of all, he's a Hall of Fame player and an All-Century player. Second of all, he was an outstanding coach. Maybe more important than that, he was the first African-American coach in the modern history of the National Football League. Those two things mean a lot to me. But just as important, he worked for me for, I think, four years in in the league office and was a powerful force in the culture of the league office. And also important for me is the fact that he's from a historically black college. And there's so many players from historically black colleges who I don't think that institution, the institution of the HBCUs has been adequately recognized. For instance, I went to Grambling to to spend a day with Eddie Robinson at Doug Williams' request. Doug asked me to do that because he felt, this goes back 30 years probably, the HBCUs had not been adequately represented. So I think art is a great representative of the HBCUs and what they have meant to the National Football League. So for lots of, and, and, and I guess the last consideration, which is more about art, less about art than about Art's colleague, Gene Upshaw. Art and Gene were extremely close, as you know, playing on the same offensive line, and of course Gene's no longer with us, but he and Art were great friends, and Gene was the person who collaborated with me, with Dan Rooney, with the owners to get the collective bargaining agreement done. It brought labor peace to the NFL. So when I thought it, thought it through, I came up with about five different reasons to have Art Shell as my presenter, and uh, I'm thrilled that it's, he's willing to do it. That's so cool, man. Dude, isn't that legit? I love that. That's like some serious historical stuff there, man. I, I love it. That's the stuff that I really nerd out about. More than the X's and O's of football, um, I really nerd out on the relationships yeah. that get formed in terms of like, you know, when you think about like the greatness of the Raiders, like there are no two more guys that exemplify that than Art Shell and Gene Upshaw. Like, and and to hear that there's a commission, this is an NFL commissioner. This is the guy that literally could have picked anyone. Like he was commissioner from like, I forget what year he started, but I think all the way to like 2001 or something like that. Yeah. Like all through the eighties, all through the nineties, like, like this is a guy that like literally could have picked. You think of all the greatness that happened and all the, freaking you know what i mean all the cowboys teams and like all the people that were you know the niners and yeah like, like he could have picked anybody and he went with freaking art shell dude that's like that's so cool that's freaking awesome man i just i love that kind of stuff and and so anyway so that almost makes me want to go like because i you know because it's not that far from us yeah and i've been waiting for a good raider to get inducted but to to go up there and to see it i miss timmy brown that one Ugh, I wish I could have gone up there to see that one, but this would be pretty legit, dude, to go up there and see Art Shell. Of course, but we already met him firsthand, though, didn't we? So, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. There was you and Mosh kind of stalked him for a minute. Oh, I was creeping. Tell big that time. story. So we've so the first time we met him, I was like, 
Holy crap, dude. I'm like, look, there's Dark Shell right there. Yeah. 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 Did you take a picture? Someone took a picture. Like, I did. You were, was it you? Yeah. Because I, I, and I, it was you and Sonny, wasn't it? Well, Mosh and Sonny went over to Art Shell and they said, hey, coach, can we get a picture with you real quick? And he was like, yeah. yeah. And so I took a picture of Mosh and Sonny with Art Shell. Okay. And then you and I were like, kind of like back. Like we, we, we let them go. We, yeah, we, we knew there was an option, an opportunity to get a photo op, and you and I were like, "Well, let those two guys go. We let were, them we have were this switching one. up. We were we, switching up. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, so we're walking around, and I'm looking for other other Raider players, and you know, seeing all these, you know, you know, uh, Raiderettes and stuff like that walking around, and I see, and I see Art Shell, and I see him, and he's sitting on the couch with his legs crossed, drinking a beer, and he's sitting talking to some lady. And so, and I go sit down right next to him. I, I go, Mosh, Mosh, come on, come on, come on. So we walk over there and we just sit down in like the chairs next to him. And he's in like a deep conversation with this person talking, whatever, whatever. And I'm just creeping. And I'm like taking <laughs> pictures of him while I'm just sitting there talking to this random woman. Well, then <laughs> the event is about to start. And so they call people and say, okay, people start making your way to the tables we're gonna start around or the doors had opened up or whatever yeah and so uh so he gets this up this is the Bolitnikov foundation this is the Bolitnikov foundation thing in november yeah the crap fest and so he gets up and i'm like okay here's my chance i want a picture with this guy and, <laughs> and so i stand up and i go excuse me mr shell can i get a picture or can i get a selfie with you right quick and he kind of just looks at me and i go yeah like a photo <laughs> oh yeah we'll make it fast <laughs> So I lean in and I take a picture, but the picture, I mean, he looks like 10 kinds of pissed off. Oh my God. You know, I've got that picture and we need to make that. That'll be our thumbnail for this episode. Okay. Our, our rundown is Jeff and freaking Art Shell. Perfect. The legendary Art Shell, man. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. That's too funny. And I remember because we were, me and Sonny and the, and the rest of us had already made our way to the table. Yeah. And you're like, I met Art Shell. And they're like, yeah, dude, we saw him. You're like, nah, dude, I met him. <laughs> I flashed on his picture. <laughs> I like, creeped on him for 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. too funny. All right, so one more thing before we get out of here, Jeff. The league, um, this is not a Raiders story, but this is an interesting NFL story. Yeah. That. Um, what did you think about last year? Okay, so the Saints got jobbed in the playoffs two years ago. Yes, they big got, time. They got jobbed by the Rams and that pass interference call, that oh. now infamous play, where it's clearly P.I. The Saints should have won that game. It should have been the Saints and 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 uh, and the Bradys in the Super Bowl. Yes. And damn the officials for robbing us of, of a Brady Breeze Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. Unbelievable, right? So they institute this now challenge rule this last year, and it's it, – really fell flat the, the officials it was forced upon them and yeah and you know what and i don't think i saw but maybe one or two the entire season that was overturned because the because the refs made the call and they were like no we made the right call damn it and they the play stands or whatever it was almost like they were protesting by not by not by overturning, not overturning these so anyway so let's hear the call here and then jeff i want you to tell us about how that's going to impact our raiders yeah, and not a surprise, Andrew. When teams filled out a survey after the season about this rule, an overwhelming number of those who were asked said they did not believe that this rule should come back and they did not think it would in itself. So really not a shocker here that it's probably going to be one and done. What is still left to be decided, and assuming these league meetings in May are still on, will probably be handled then, will there be a sky judge to fix egregious errors on the field? That is something cool. that, of course, merits further discussion and it will be discussed i think that would be a great that idea. would be awesome yes and that would solve the whole thing because you know <sighs> tell me about you're a big hockey fan 
Yes. Tell me about how they do it in hockey. Well, so it's 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 done by the uh, by the official, and it's called it's called in from Toronto. It's called in from their headquarters of a game. If there's a missed call or a questionable call or something like that, they have offsides, goaltender interference, things like that, and it's made. The call is made by an office in Toronto. Gets called in, and they that's when they make the call. But there's and and then if you do challenge it, there is an option in the NHL for you to challenge it. But if you lose, if you uh, if you lose that challenge, then you get a penalty. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, so it's not that you lose a timeout, which you do lose the timeout, but you also get a two minute minor penalty. Oh my gosh! So yeah. it's really punitive if you if you, exactly. if you make if exactly. you do it unnecessarily. Yes. So. I think that now obviously the NFL is not going to probably go that route where they're not going to they're not going to like move the ball back ten yards or whatever. Sure, they're not going to do that. But I think the idea of having an overriding quote sky judge eye in the sky, somebody in the league office in New York that when a play happens that's super like, questionable, like, like or and that wasn't even questionable. Like that play with the like with the Rams and Saints, like it was. There is no more clear cut, uh, you know, offense of pass the most pass interference pass interference call we've ever seen ever seen, and it didn't get called. So would it be you know to have somebody in the league office go, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and flip that yes. one over and changing that rule. I liked the concept of it. I liked the idea of it, but it didn't really pan out. And so, really, how this impacts the Raiders is it saves us probably nine timeouts throughout the whole season. Because, because every we time- didn't lose, we didn't win one. Gruden challenged. I think. I mean, I can recall probably eight or nine different games we challenged one and lost it. And so, they were, and some of those were pretty egregious. Like yeah. some of those were kind of clear cut. Yeah. So I think that you know the officials not calling those and so impacting negatively the Raiders in those instances uh, in their way of quote protesting or whatever. Instead, if it's the league office, then. It's not a coach. It's not. They're not being second guessed by a coach or by. You know what I mean? They're being. They're, they're essentially they're being overridden by the league office. And yes. I gotta think that look, these officials, whether we like it or not, they're ego driven, man. Oh yeah. They're all about you know. They're all about them being on camera, and they're all about like their impact and their. You know what yeah, I mean? What it's they a, say goes in the game. They kind of yeah. You feel like there's a little bit of an abuse of power at times. Yeah. And so I think this would still allow them to feel that presence to feel that way about themselves to where you don't get these you know just complete you know back turns on a on a on an initiative uh it allows them to still maintain that sense of power in it and yet we then as the fan and the league get the power to do the right thing which is freaking turn over a dumb ass call like what happened in that so yes uh, anyway so good stuff for the league and i think good for the raiders uh ultimately all right swago (sighs) I feel like we've been talking for an hour. I know, right? I know, right? We need to go take a nap before RFR Live. Before RFR Live. Well, so <laughs> so thanks for joining us here on the rundown. Uh, again, let us know. Give us some feedback on the show, good or bad. We want to hear from you. Uh, subscribe to the channel that is uh, Murph's Fan Cave on any podcast service. Or if you're on the YouTubes, please subscribe. We love the views we get on the YouTubes. Yes. Please hit the subscribe button while yes, you're there. Yes, and we're, yeah, we hit episode 162 was the highest ever. Ever. 3,000 plus. I think we're at 3,250 or something like that right now. It's crazy good. Thank you so much. But subscribe because you could win stuff. We're going to give away some stuff. Swago's got some stuff he's going to give away. Uh, we got some stuff here from the cave we're going to give away. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that and that really nice get made shirt yeah. with the signatures from me and Swago and Uncle Mosh because we're that self-indulgent that we will award you yeah. our own signature. Yeah. And you yeah. can sell it on eBay for like a quarter. Like, yeah, like <laughs> six bucks in a pack of envelopes or something. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Appreciate you, Raider Nation. Thanks for tuning in. Swaggle, thanks for being here. Thanks a lot. Peace. Peace. Hey, everybody. This is your old Uncle Mosh from RFR Live. And I got a little question for you. You ever want to talk about the best ice cold cerveza you just finished? Or you want to banter with your crew about all the good and the bad in the nation? The Raider Nation, that is. Well, you can do all this and much more on the Mojo Pod Show. That's right, the Mojo Pod Show, where you get riveting conversation, straightforward reviews about your favorite suds, and an honest approach to everything Raiders football. That's Mojo Pod Show on Murph's Fan Cave Podcast Network. It's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Driving plays a big part in driving the local economy. It helps us all get where we're going and creates good jobs close to home. At Synovus Energy, our refineries in Toledo and Lima are a reliable domestic source of gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. Plus, more than 2,300 employees and contractors work for us here in Ohio. See how we're helping local communities move forward at synovus.com. Driving plays a big part in driving the local economy. It helps us all get where we're going and creates good jobs close to home. At Synovus Energy, our refineries in Toledo and Lima are a reliable domestic source of gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. Plus, more than 2,300 employees and contractors work for us here in Ohio. See how we're helping local communities move forward at synovus.com.